Thank you for listening to Franklin City Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information on Franklin City Church, please check us out at www.franklincitychurch.com. Well, good morning, church. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, as we are continuing to go through um, our study through the book of Mark, and we're picking things up in verse 21. Mark 5, verse 21. And as you are turning there, I want to share with you a few thoughts uh, from an article titled Dying of Despair. Dying of Despair. The article was written by a psychiatrist back in 2017, and he wrote the article after observing the rise in deaths from suicide and drug overdoses in our country. And in the article, he points to a number of long-term studies that have analyzed like what most likely is causing someone to commit suicide, to despair so much of life that they are likely to do that. Because what he was finding was that since 1999, there has been a huge increase in our country in the number of drug overdoses and of suicides. And due to this epidemic, the overall life expectancy in our, in our country has actually begun to decline, which is the first time it has done that since the 1930s. Suicide is now the second leading cause of death among adolescents and young adults. It's the 10th leading cause of death overall in the United States. And let me share with you his conclusion of some of this research. He writes this. He writes, over a 10-year span, it turns out that the one factor most strongly predictive of suicide is not how sick the person is, nor how many symptoms he exhibits, nor how much physical pain he is suffering, nor whether he is rich or poor. The most dangerous factor is a person's sense of hopelessness. Hopelessness. The person without hope is the likeliest candidate. He, he concludes, we cannot live without hope. We cannot live without hope. And church, you remember that we are in the middle of a few stories in the book of Mark that some have referred to as the St. Jude chapter. Now they've called it this because in Roman Catholicism, St. Jude is the patron saint of hopeless causes. So you remember a couple weeks ago, we saw the disciples, how they were in the boat with Jesus and the storm picked up, the wind and the waves were crashing in, water was filling up the boat, and the disciples lost hope. It seemed like it was a hopeless situation until Jesus spoke, until God's word went forth and calmed the wind and the waves. And then you remember last week we saw them, okay, they arrive on shore, they get out of the boat, and they come across a man who is possessed by a demon. And not just one demon, but a whole legion of demons. And this man, uh, people had tried to restrain him, they had tried to, to bind him and shackle him, but nothing was strong enough to hold him. And so he would break free of the shackles, he was miserable, he cried out day and night, he would cut himself, harm himself. People had given up on him. He was a hopeless cause. He was hopeless. It was a hopeless situation until, until Jesus showed up and Jesus spoke. Until the word of God went forth. And last week we saw that Jesus demonstrated his power and authority over evil. And now this morning we arrive at two more seemingly hopeless situations. Okay, a child that is sick that will eventually die and a woman who has been afflicted with an illness for 12 years. Apart from Jesus, there would be no hope for these people. 
And our world is seeing this more and more that without Jesus, there is no hope. I mean, just for a second, I want you to consider all the human beings that have gone before you, okay, that at some point in their lives, their physical bodies have died. I know we don't like to think about that. I know we like to delude ourselves into thinking that sin's effects in the world do not apply to us. You might think, no, not me, Pastor Grant. I mean, I eat organic, grass-fed, free-range, local, non-GMO, gluten-free, superfoods with a probiotic, right? Like, not, not my body. Sin does not have that effect on my body. My body is going to live forever. Now, listen, I, I didn't come this morning to bum you out, okay? I didn't come this morning to explain to you that after age 25, your body is literally shutting itself down. I didn't, I didn't come to talk about that, all right? You know, I will, I will always keep things positive and encouraging. That's just how I roll, okay? But, but in all seriousness, I didn't come to bum you out, okay, to talk about the, just the shortness of life and, and how everyone eventually ages and goes the way of, of their physical bodies dying. I came this morning to bring you good news, okay? Good news. Because, church, we want to celebrate this morning that although apart from Christ, we would be dying of despair. We came to celebrate this morning that when Jesus shows up and when Jesus speaks, we are awakened to a living hope, to a living hope. And so we come this morning to remember that there was a man that went before us who was fully God and fully man, who had the power to do what we could not do. And when he died, he did not stay dead so that we could be raised to life as well. And it is because of Jesus that we can echo the words of 2 Corinthians 4, which 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 and 17, it says this. It says, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And so this morning, we've got to know and understand that Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is the only hope for our world. Apart from Christ, we are dying of despair. But now in Christ, we are being awakened to a living hope. And so what we are going to learn this passage in front of this morning, what I'll repeat over and over again, is that Jesus is our ultimate hope. Therefore, it is his power we must rely on, believing that he is able to do what no one else can do. And that will that'll make more sense as we keep going through this text, but that Jesus is our ultimate hope. Therefore, it is his power we must rely on, believing that he is able to do what no one else can do. Are you guys ready? Yep. Okay, let's go. Mark 5, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. 
And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians, who had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Well, let's stop right there. Here we get introduced to a man and a woman who are in two different situations, but both of the situations seem hopeless. They seem hopeless. We are first introduced to one of the rulers of the synagogue named Jairus, okay? And the synagogue, remember, was the gathering place where the people of God would gather, the scriptures would be taught and read, okay? The synagogues were different from the temple. There was only one temple uh, in Jerusalem where priests would make sacrifices to God, but the synagogues were gathering places in different towns for smaller, large gatherings where groups would gather, hear God's word taught, hear God's word read, and Jairus would have been responsible in coordinating those gatherings and making sure that the, that the location and the building was, was running smoothly. And so it was, a, it was a respectable position that he had. He would have been thought of, you know, thought of well of by other people. And yet, look in this story. Look at his desperation. Look at his desperation and humility. He came to Jesus, one of the rulers of the synagogue, came to Jesus and fell at his feet. He fell at his feet. He falls at his feet and he begs Jesus, Jesus, my little girl is dying. She's sick. She's almost dead. Like, would you please come? Would you please help? Would you do only what you can do so that she might live? Now, we don't know the backstory with this girl's illness. We don't know how long she had been sick. We don't know what they have tried already. But we can assume that this ruler of the synagogue, if he's this desperate, if, this, if he's this humble, we can assume that he's already tried everything in his ability and with his resources to try to get her help. And he's run out of everything he could try and he's able to do. And he comes to the point where he realizes that in order for his daughter to be restored to life, He's going to need Jesus, who Jairus believes he, Jesus is the only one that is able to do this. He's run out of options. He can't, he's come to the end of himself. He's come to the end of his resources and his abilities and anything he could do for his daughter. And he's now desperate and he falls at the feet of Jesus. Jesus, come do what only you can do. Jairus, whose name means whom God enlightens, has come to the end of himself, and his only hope is for Jesus. And he falls at his feet, trusting that Jesus is able to do this. And Jesus shows compassion on this desperate father, and so he goes, he goes with him. Then enter on the scene a woman who has been ill for 12 years. She's been bleeding for 12 years. Now listen, I, I work in a hospital. I have no problem discussing female reproductive problems, but I realize we're not all there on that same page, okay? Uh, so in order to keep the awkward meter from going too high this morning, we're just gonna leave it at this woman was bleeding, okay? Uh, I already, as it is my, the medical part of me was, was coming up with a differential diagnosis, we will not go into that this morning, okay? She has been bleeding for 12 years. We'll leave it at that. But she has been doing, she has been doing everything that she is able to try to find relief and a cure for this illness. She had sought out a remedy from physicians. She had spent all of her money. Verse 26 said, she had suffered much under many physicians. 
Some of you maybe can relate to this. You've gone from specialist to specialist. You have suffered much under many physicians. Verse 26, it says, and she had spent all she had. I think all of us who've had medical bills can relate to that, right? She has spent all that she had. She's done everything in her ability to be well, and nothing has worked. Now, we can definitely feel bad for her and sympathize with this woman being physically ill for 12 years, going from doctor to doctor, spending all of her money. But listen, it gets even worse. Because according to the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, a woman who was bleeding was considered unclean. And if you were unclean, God had instructed the people to put the unclean outside of the camp until the bleeding had stopped and they could go through the purification rituals. And so her illness had not only caused her to be physically ill, but it had also caused her to be isolated from her community. It had caused her to be isolated from worshiping with God's people. If you were unclean, you wouldn't be a, a part of the worshiping community. No one was allowed to touch her unless, or, or unless they would become unclean, and then they would have to go through the purification rituals. So not only is, this, not only is she physically miserable, but she's also so, so socially and religiously isolated. She's been like this for 12 years. She's been miserable for 12 years, and she has come to the end of herself for she has no hope except for Jesus to do something that only Jesus can do. Both Jairus and this woman, they have come to the end of themselves. They have come to the end of themselves. They fall at the feet of Jesus. You don't fall at the feet of someone unless you have come to the end of yourself. They realize that no doctor, no amount of money, no ability of their own will help them. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. You see, many times for us, in order for us to put our ultimate hope and trust in Jesus, God will bring us to the end of ourselves. He will remove some of our lesser hopes and he will open our eyes to see that our desire to obtain life and salvation is beyond our own abilities. God will oftentimes graciously allow us to come to the end of ourselves so that we will fall at the feet of Jesus, who is the one who is able to do what no one else can do. The power for life and salvation is found at the feet of Jesus. And so it is a good and gracious thing when God allows us to come to the end of ourselves because he's leading us to the only place where that power can be found. And I've shared this story before. I think it helps kind of emphasize this point. It leads us into the next. So you see, back in high school, Britt's dad had asked me uh, to come over and help with some yard work. So we had just started dating, and of course I said yes. I was still trying to prove myself to him, right? I was going to go to his house, help him do some yard work. That's something that a father of a, a, of a young lady who's dating someone can very much take advantage of that situation. Uh, I know dad has had my brother-in-law up on the roof many a time uh, to clean out gutters, things like that. I've, I've made sure he understood what, what is a son's responsibility and what is a son-in-law's responsibility. Son-in-laws get the roof work, okay? That you're only 
son just stays on the ground, all right? All right, but anyway, Britt's dad, he invites me over uh, to do some yard work, and I'm like, okay, yes, I'm there. I show up, I'm ready. I'm like, man, I'm gonna show him I'm a hard worker. I can do this. I'm gonna prove myself worthy of dating his daughter. And so the first task that he wanted me to do was mow the yard. Okay, now it was a big yard, so he was going to do the riding mower. He gave me his push mower, and he wanted me to kind of mow around all the edges and along the chain link fence. Now, this is a big yard. It's still going to take a decent amount, amount of time to do this. And so I grabbed the mower. Now, the mower is a lot bigger and fancier than the mowers that I was used to at our house, okay? But I didn't want to ask for help or ask him to show me how to use it or anything. I'm just like, okay, I grabbed the mower, and I'm going, Okay. So I don't ask how to use it, I just grab it, I just start pushing to prove myself worthy of Brittany, okay? And a few feet into mowing, I quickly realized that this is going to be a struggle, okay? I mean, I was pushing, like, it felt like it was one of those football sleds that the linemen all line up to push, you know, I'm like driving my knees, I'm, I'm grunting, I'm breathing heavily just to push this mower a few feet down the fence line. I could have asked for help, but no, in my pride, I wanted to just prove myself that I could do this in my own power, in my own ability. And so I'm pushing, I'm struggling. I finally get to the end of the fence line, and I realize that I am not even halfway done, and I'm already exhausted. My muscles are cramping up. I'm weary. I'm ready to give up. I finally realize that unless something changes, I am not going to be able to finish this job. So I swallow my pride, I finally, I yell for some help, and you know what Britt's dad says? He says, squeeze the lever. <laughs> squeeze the lever. You see, in my youthful pride, I didn't realize I had been pushing a self-propelled mower. <laughs> it was self-propelled. There was a lever, you squeeze it, boom, it takes off. There was a power in that mower that I had not tapped into. There was a power available to me that I had been neglecting. I had been attempting to do something in my own strength that I did not have the ability or power to do. But when I squeezed the lever, there was a power that I then had the joy of participating along with, knowing that it was only because of the power of the mower that I was able to finish that job. And many church people, many church people, many religious people, before we were resting and relying on the power of Christ, we were working hard. We were trying to do good works. We were doing the best that we could but it was exhausting. We were tired. We were weary. And God graciously allowed us to get to the point to realize we are not going to be able to do this in our own power and by our own strength. He causes us to come to the end of ourselves, to humble ourselves, fall at the feet of Jesus with desperation, knowing that, it is, that he is our ultimate hope, and therefore it is his power we must rely on and rest in for life and salvation. Jairus and this woman, they have come to the end of themselves, and they are now about to experience the power of God. Look at verse 27, Mark 5, verse 27. 
She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Okay, this woman, she had heard reports about Jesus, and and she's so desperate that she breaks the ceremonial law to get close to him. Remember, she is technically unclean. Anyone in the crowd who she touches would technically become unclean. But, But look what happens when she encounters God in the flesh. Verse 29. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This woman was desperate. Her only hope was to rely on the power of Jesus to do what only he could do. Now look, her faith wasn't perfect, okay? It was very much a childlike faith, and it might have even been a little superstitious. So some scholars believe that she might have been thinking superstitiously because in the ancient world, some believed that certain rulers possessed power to bless those who touched them. So for example, Alexander the Great would have crowds flock around him just to try to touch them, touch him because they believed they would get a blessing from just touching Alexander the Great. So she runs to him with a a childlike faith, maybe even a little bit of a superstitious-like faith. She runs to him, pushes her way through the crowd, and touches him, and something then happens to her that had to even shock her. She encounters the power of Jesus, and she is immediately healed. And what is so shocking and what should grab your attention in this story is that the natural order of things has been flipped upside down. And it often is this way when Jesus shows up, okay? Typically, when something unclean touches something clean, the unclean thing makes the clean thing unclean. Did you guys follow that, okay? Typically, right, when the unclean touches the clean, the uncleanness spreads to the clean. But Jesus, who is God in the flesh, Our great God who is holy, 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 meaning he is absolutely holy and the source of all holiness. When uncleanness comes into contact with him, unclean things become clean. His purity overpowers the impurity. His light obliterates the darkness and his holiness overtakes the effects of sin. Unclean people become clean when the holiness of God is spread to them through Christ. Her disease, her illness, it was healed in the presence of Jesus. Verse 30 says, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, That word power is the Greek word dunamis, dunamis. It has a similar root as our English word for dynamite, okay? 
The word is describing an explosive, powerful ability. All right, now earlier in Mark, we looked at another Greek word called exosia. Exosia is another Greek word that has been translated into English as power or authority. And we learned earlier in Mark that exosia means that Jesus had the right to teach the way he did and to perform miracles the way he did. He had the, the authority and the right to do it as God. As God in the flesh, he had the right, the authority, the power to do it. But here in this passage, we see Jesus also has the power the dunamis, the ability to do these things. He is able to do what we were not able to do. You remember, God brings us to the end of ourselves. He reveals to us that we do not have the ability or the power to save ourselves, to heal ourselves, or to resurrect ourselves. We don't. It's hopeless. In our own power, in our own ability, we lack that. It is hopeless. We lack the ability to save ourselves and to heal ourselves and to raise ourselves. But, but we see here that Jesus has the power. He has the ability to heal us and to cleanse us. Therefore, we must rely on the power of Christ alone to be made well. He asks, he asks, who touched me? And the woman is afraid. She's afraid, right? She knows she's not supposed to be touching anybody. She, but she also knows that something powerful, something miraculous has just happened inside of her that has healed her and cleansed her. And so she's not sure if Jesus is going to rebuke her for her uncleanness. She's not sure if he's going to punish her for disobeying the law. She's not sure if he's going to shame her in front of the crowd. She's fearful. But look what Jesus calls her instead. He says, daughter. Daughter. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. She has been called unclean for 12 years. 12 years she has called herself unclean and others have called her unclean. 12 years she has been isolated from worshiping God. She has been isolated from community with the people of God. She fully expects Jesus to call her unclean and look what he calls her. He says, daughter, daughter. Not unclean sinner. He calls her daughter. Church, I know we talk about sin here at our church, which we should. I know we remind one another that we were sinners saved by grace. Those are good things to remember and to teach. But church, church when you are in Christ, Jesus doesn't call you a sinner anymore. He calls us sons and daughters. Now, the accuser might come and whisper sinner in your ear at times. The accuser might come and remind you of the sin you've struggled with and the sin you are still struggling with. But when the accuser comes and reminds you of your past, that's when the children of God remind the accuser of his future. 
And you look to the cross and you look to the empty tomb and you remember that Jesus defeated Satan's sin and death and he has now clothed us in his righteousness and we are no longer sinners, we are saints. We are no longer rebels. We are adopted as sons and daughters of the king. Amen. Thank you for that awkward clap. <clears throat> he doesn't say unclean sinner. He says daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now let's talk a little bit about faith for a second. And I want us to try to understand faith in regards to hope. Okay, faith and hope are two words that get thrown around a lot, sometimes meaning the same things, but really there's, there's a little distinctness there that I want you to understand. And Hebrews 11 helps us understand how they relate a little bit more. So we'll have it up on the screen, Hebrews 11, verse 1. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith is an active trust, reliance, dependence in what we hope for, okay? Hope is this confident expectation we have of certain things that are to come in the future, but it arises from the faith, the trust, the confidence that we have. And there are certain things that we, we hope for, right, that we are looking forward to, that we have a confident expectation about, but those things arise because of the faith, our trust, our reliance, our dependence upon what God's word has told us and what God's word has said. And so biblical hope, it arises from faith, okay, from faith. So for example, if I tell my boys, hey, tomorrow I'm gonna go take you guys for ice cream, Hey, they can have some hope about that. That can sound exciting to them. Why? Because they have faith in the one who told them he's going to go take them. They know I have the ability, the power to do it, and that I follow through most of the time on what I say. Okay, let's, let's show some grace here, okay? Most of the time, I will follow through on what I tell them. They can have hope because they have faith in who's telling them this. It would be different, right, if one of their other five-year-old friends tells them they're going to take them for ice cream tomorrow, right? Now, at least Jackson would be a little skeptical about this, might not have as much hope in that because doesn't have as much faith that this kid has the ability to actually take him to get ice cream. Okay, you follow. Hope arises from faith. The reason that we're pausing on this point because I want you to understand and it to be burned in your mind that hope arises from faith. And I want to remind you where your faith comes from. The reason I'm working in this backwards progression is because in order for you to walk out of here and be able to live life, not dying of despair, in order for you to walk out of here and understand that you now have a living hope, you're gonna need to have your faith strengthened and assured, and in order for you to have your faith strengthened and assured, you're gonna need to understand where your faith comes from. You see, faith is not just something we muster up on our own strength and on our own power. It's not a good work that we do that saves us. No, faith is a gift given to us from God. 
Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It is the gift of God, referring to everything leading up to that. Grace, salvation, faith, all good things are from God. Faith is a gift given to us from God. Now listen, some days our faith is weak. Some days our faith is strong. Most of the time, our faith starts out like a childlike faith, and we are responsible in participating with the work of the Spirit to see our, our faith strengthened, to work out our faith. There certainly is a part of us that works alongside the Spirit working in us to work out our faith, but we have to understand where faith comes from. Don't forget its source. Hebrews 12 Verse 2 says that Jesus is the founder, some translations say author, and perfecter of our faith. Your faith is a gift from God. You see, when we think that our faith is something that we mustered up on ourselves, that something in our own ability we came up with, when we think that our faith is all up to us, we can quickly question and doubt that faith, and therefore we quickly lose hope. But listen, if you believe that Jesus is God, if you have received him as your savior, meaning you believe that he died on the cross, paying the penalty for your sins, and he rose from the dead, defeating Satan's sin and death, and you are trusting in his work alone for your salvation, if you believe that, Church, your ability to believe that, that is evidence that God has done something supernatural in you. That is a gift from God. That is saving faith. You did not come up with that one on your own. That faith is evidence that God has done something supernatural in you. He's done something that only he could do. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says that the, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. If it wasn't for the gift of faith in your life, if it wasn't for the God's work on your heart, the message of the gospel, the word of the cross, would be foolishness to you. Jesus is our ultimate hope. Therefore, it is his power we must rely on, his power that our faith is in knowing that he is able to do what no one else could do. If we could think back to our text for a moment, without Jesus, we have no hope in regards to death and disease. Without Jesus, we would be dying of despair. Death and disease are all around us. I mean, we, we do like to live in this delusion that this isn't happening or that it won't happen to us. But my prayer this morning is not that you would all despair that death and disease is all around you, but my prayer for you this morning is actually from Romans 15. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. The power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You see, the reason that we can abound in hope is because our faith, our trust, our reliance, our dependence is not in creation, but it is in our powerful and loving creator. 
Two weeks ago, we saw Jesus demonstrate his power and authority over the wind and the waves. Last week, we saw him demonstrate his power and authority over evil. And this week, we see him demonstrate his power and authority over death and disease. Therefore, therefore, we should not go to a funeral and lose hope. Therefore, we should not hear of a person receiving a a, a terminal diagnosis and lose hope. We should not lose hope when we see the effects of sin in the world because our hope, our hope, does not arise from a faith or a trust in creation. Our hope arises from a faith and a trust in our Creator. So listen, our hope, it doesn't arise from a faith or trust in our physical health. That's not where our ultimate hope should be. Our ultimate hope doesn't arise from the faith in our physical health. Our hope does not arise from a faith or trust in our family's health. Our hope does not arise from a faith or trust in the academic or athletic success of our kids. Our hope does not arise from a faith or a trust in the number in our bank account. Our hope does not arise from a faith or trust in how others view us or perceive us. No, our hope, our hope arises from the faith that Jesus has authored and founded in us and is perfecting in us as we speak. Our hope for a creation that has been infiltrated by sin and death and disease, it does not arise from what a news anchor tells us or from what a doctor informs us. No, our hope arises from our faith in what God says. Like what he says in Romans 8, verse 20 and 21. He says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope, in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's where our hope arises from. Our hope arises from the good news of the gospel, for it is the power, the dunamis, the ability of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Our hope arises from faith in a God who says that death is swallowed up in victory. Church, that's where our hope should arise from. Our faith that Jesus has authored and founded in us, and he's perfecting in us right now. We must rely on his power for life and salvation. So listen, if you feel like you are in a hopeless situation, or or if your hope could be shaken by one phone call, or one diagnosis, or one accident, you need to evaluate not what your hope is in, you need to evaluate what your faith is in. Who or what are you putting your ultimate trust, reliance, and dependence upon? And listen, if you've never put your faith, your trust, your reliance, your dependence in Christ, I would plead with you to do it today. 
Stay and talk with one of us. Kids, stay and talk with your parents about this. Don't go another day without receiving this gift of salvation. Because listen, if I, when I'm preaching, if when you hear me preach about Jesus, your heart is awakened a little bit, if when you hear me preach about Jesus, your love for him grows, if you believe that he is God and he died on the cross as a payment for your sins and you believe he rose from the dead, if you can say that, if you believe that, praise God, he has done something supernatural in your heart. So don't neglect that. Don't neglect it, but receive him as your savior. Turn from living in your own trust and turn from living in your own power and ability and instead trust the power and ability of Christ and Christ alone. And church, maybe, maybe you've been a Christian for years. Maybe you put your faith in Christ a long time ago and yet you are prone to feeling hopeless. Listen, don't, don't spend your time trying to muster up more hope or things to hope about. And also don't feel guilty or despair that, that, that you don't have hope. But know that hope arises from faith. Instead, fall at the feet of Jesus and ask him to increase your faith. Listen, that is a prayer that all of us Many times, maybe multiple times a day, we have to pray. You are not alone. I pray this all the time. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. And church, I'm telling you, there are a lot of things that you can ask God for that many times he might say no to or he may, might say not now to. But when you ask him to increase your faith, listen, he is faithful to do that. He is faithful to do that. Now, it might not look like how you want it to look. He might have to take you through some hardships to strengthen your faith. He might have to cause some loss and some trials in your life to increase your faith. But I'm telling you, our God is faithful. And the author and the founder of your faith, he will be faithful to perfect it. Amen. We really, we got to get better at the, the, the clapping. So just... <laughs> We'll have a workshop on it uh, at some point. You see, when Jesus is the founder of your faith, when you understand that Jesus is the author and the founder of your faith, it really starts feeling less and less like you've got faith, but actually faith has got you. Amen. Jesus is our ultimate hope. Therefore, it is his power that we must rest and rely on, believing that he is able to do what no one else can do. And I'll conclude, I'll conclude with this. Listen, we do not have the ability to save ourselves. We do not have the ability to bring the dead back to life. We do not have the ability to permanently cure disease. I know with modern medicine, we can maybe extend life, but we don't have the ability to permanently cure disease. And listen, we do not have the ability to have faith in Christ by our own power and our own strength. But the power of God, the dunamis, the ability of God, 
It is infinite and it is eternal and it does not run dry. And this power of God, it is what produces faith in us. And listen, this is where it gets fun, because do you know how God, in his good and gracious plan, decided to give this good gift of faith and to see his power spread to his people? Through the proclamation of his word, through his sons and daughters going and taking this news to their family and their friends and their neighbors. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. People receive this gift of salvation through faith by first hearing the words of Christ proclaimed to them. So church, take this good news. Take this news to your family and friends and trust the power of God to awaken hearts to life. And listen, next week we will finish this story. And we're going to see the power of God is going to exceed our expectations. We're going to go through verses 35 and 43 next week. We're going to see how Jairus, he, he came to Jesus looking for a healing. And he instead is going to get a resurrection. Yeah. And so I'm excited about next week. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our only hope. And God, I know each one of us have had different things that have happened this week and this month and this year. And Lord, there might be some that are struggling to have hope, that are leaning towards despair. God, we beg and plead that you would increase our faith, that we would humbly come to your feet and recognize and know that we need your power to save us, to heal us. Give us more faith, God. Awaken our hearts to this living hope. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.